My name is Barry Siragusa, and this is the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. Join us as we go deep discussing hounds and everything hound related with the men and women from around the globe who've dedicated their lives to hunting with hounds. We ask them about the game they pursue, the breeds they run, and to get their insight into what it means to be a modern-day houndsman. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Leave us a comment and subscribe wherever podcasts are available. All right. We're here with Hitta Vanderkamp. You're in... Uh, where are you right now? Because you're, you're an hour behind where I thought you were going to be. Um, so I'm currently at my parents' which would be Alberta. Okay. And then um, where, I, where I live is uh, British Columbia, so that's the hour difference there. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. So I was, uh, I was sitting around reading a book when uh, suddenly I got a message on my phone. I was like, oh, I guess the, uh, I guess the time difference is a little different than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, good. Well, good. Well, thanks so much for joining me here. I've, uh, I've wanted to talk to you for a while because we've... Um, uh, I've followed you for quite a while on Instagram and okay. I see that, uh, you know, th- th- there's some people that I, I kind of get the impression I, when I see them putting stuff out, I'm like, oh, that kind of looks like the same cat as 10 pictures ago. Or, you know, it's like, I wonder a little bit whether they're putting as much game up as they make it seem like, but y- you put up a lot of game. Like you've got a lot of animals up on their feet. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it- since I've moved out in that, that direction, it's been a little easier. I get, you know, I got three day weekends, so it's three days of good hunting. And if the snow conditions are good, mm-hmm. you'll be able to run a cat every day. So it's been, that's kind of been the main reason, but yeah, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Sometimes you, you look and it's eight o'clock at night and guys are posting on their thing. And I mean, I don't follow along with that stuff too closely, but it's, um, but I get pretty fortunate as to where I live. There's good cat, good cat numbers. And, not too many houndsmen, so it makes it easy. Sure, yeah. Well, what uh, what are you hunting up there? Are you do you have bobcat that far north, or are you uh, are you after um, lions mostly? Um, we get everything. We get lions, bobcats, lynx, and then we got the black bear as well. Uh huh. Um, but usually it, it kind of depends. Like the the bobcat and lynx seasons end a little earlier, and uh, the the lynx will be in a, in a little bit of a higher elevation. So usually you'll get them, you'll run them a bit earlier in the season when the snow isn't too deep on those higher elevations. And then as the snow kind of starts packing up, you'll get to the lower elevations. And then the the bobcats and the cougars will kind of get pushed down off the mountain and you'll find those kind of in a similar area. So um, you can usually, on, on a good day, you can you'll at least cut, cut a lynx track every day. Okay. And then um, and then if, if you're lucky, like you'll catch a, or a cat or a bobcat every second day for sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Excellent. Well, what, tell me a little bit about yourself. Let's start, I guess let's start there. Where, you know, where, uh, how'd you get into the hounds? Were you, were you a hunter first or a dog man first? Like what, what kind of drew you into the hounds and what did you start with? Where did you start? Um, so I was, I was actually born in Holland and my family moved here in 2004 to Alberta, like where I am at now. Mm. Um, and then I, we didn't hunt, um, some, my, on my grandma's side, there's some hunters in the family, but nobody in my immediate family hunted. And uh, so we moved here. There's uh, just a local guy who I ran into at a local event, and he's he just kind of actually started coaching me wrestling. And he had some okay. hounds, so I was like, "Oh, I kind of that's pretty cool." He's got dogs, and he, he's chasing lions, and you know, it's also forward to me. So um, he told me I could come along, so I, I tagged along with him once, and I think I 
12 or 13 years old. We ended up getting a lion, a tom. He's a bit of a nasty tom. Um, he ended up cutting up some dogs pretty good. Okay. Um, yeah, so that that was quite a first experience for yeah. a 12-year-old kid or a 13-year-old kid. Yeah, it was pretty intense. Um, but that, like, from that day, I was kind of hooked. And um, he actually ended up getting out of hounds um, when I was about 13 or 14. So I only got a couple lions with him. Okay. Um, and then he actually got into beagles for rabbits. Okay. So, yeah 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 and that's how that's kind of where i started too he he got the beagles just because he had kids and stuff and uh where we live where he lived in alberta we used to drive about an hour and a half before we could even get to an area where there's hunting sure. uh for lions and and just with the regulations and stuff like some some years with the quota system there's only a three four week season within yeah. an hour and an hour and a half drive so just it's not fair to the dogs to have dogs for a whole year that you can hunt a week Right. Yeah, I totally get that. It's the it's the same here with the links. We've got, you know, I I run mine on Fox as well. Not because I, you know, not because I particularly care for Fox, but it's the the, it just gives me a season that I know is going to last from August to April, whereas the link season, it's the quota. You know, it could be over in two days. I mean, it's it's (laughs) it it goes so fast. So if you have just a lynx dog, that dog's going to be standing a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, it's hard hard justifying owning a dog when you can only hope for a season. Um, and that was so that's kind of why he went into the rabbits. And with the rabbits, like he's a young kid, so it's easier to take the kids out. And, you know, you make a fire, you get the beagles going, you get a rabbit up and moving. And uh, so when I was 14, when I turned 14, or when I turned 13, I can't quite remember. Um, he actually got this, um, got this kind of little morbidly obese beagle from um (laughs) from a horse lady he was a farrier so this horse lady couldn't get around too well and she had this fat little beagle and uh she just couldn't take care of him anymore so he actually gave that beagle to me on my birthday night from what we know he wasn't hunting bread okay um yeah so i just had this dog and i just kind of started exercising him a little bit you know just feeding him good food and getting him out with the other beagles and and I think I had him for about two years. And at the end of the two years, he was actually in on the races. And so I, like, he was no, no star hound, but he was in on the races. You no, know, that's cool. Would, he, yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was really cool. And he actually, he got a hit on the road. And then oh. uh, after that, I, I bought another beagle and he, he was, he was uh game bred and that was, he was a really good dog. And so I think I had him too. While I was about, well, he passed away when I was about 20. He was about four or five when I got him. He passed mm-hmm. about, he passed away when I was 20 and, and I actually had gotten my first uh, hounds, the Colts cat hounds, the first hounds I think I got when I was 16 or 17. Okay. Were those so, the first big game hounds you you got? You went right into the Colts cat hounds? Yeah. Yeah. So the guy that got me into hounds, he had Colts cat hounds. Now, he also okay. had a mutual, yeah, he also had a mutual friend who um, had hounds in, B- in uh, British Columbia near Abbotsford. And, um, those are also Cole's cat hounds. So they, they just kind of said, you know, they, that's what they've ran and they've been, they've really liked them. So that's just kind of what I went with. And, and I mean, I mean, they had some, that the guy in Abbotsford, he also had some, uh, stock that was white cloud. I'm yeah. Not yeah. Sure if you're familiar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. So he had some of that stock and, uh, he had the Cole stock, but yeah. I mean, so I was just lucky enough to, to talk to Dale and, he just said, yeah, there's a couple of young dogs here, actually. I had one of his neighbors who's got some hounds as well that, that have been bred back into the Coles stock. Uh, so they weren't, their first couple weren't papered Coles, but uh, they had all the, like they had been bred back into the Coles so much that they were of the same kind of blood. And uh, 
So sure. he sent a couple of sent a couple of those up here, and I went went and drove to Montana and brought them across the border. Cool. Wow, that's a that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, the the Coles Hounds. You know, one of the first people who who you know, I already I already knew who you were, but then I, I did a podcast here with um, Sam Natoli, and he's a, a more a more hardcore brindle guy. You, you'd have to look, <laughs> yes, find a yes. hardcore brindle guy than Sam. Yeah. And he just had nothing but good things to say about that. Uh, what's that dog's name? Was it Ranger? That Ranger yeah, dog he's got? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, so it was, uh, it seemed a little begrudging almost. He was a little bit like, yeah, <laughs> that Ranger dog, he's, uh, he's, he's just a really good dog. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's awesome, and it, he's actually he'd been bugging um, Dale Coles for for a, one of his pups for a while, and Dale just hadn't had a a litter. And then actually, um, one of the um, I don't I know I think I actually sent Ranger to him first, and uh, then uh, Dale Coles actually did end up having a litter, and that's how I got those other two cat dogs off of uh, off Dale directly. And uh, one of those dogs was actually also supposed to go to Sam, but he at that time he's I think his kennel was pretty full, and he had his own litter going, so he just yep. didn't get a chance to take her. But um, yeah, he'd been bugging Dill for a while about one of those dogs, and yeah, both those guys we send. I send we I think we've sent two dogs out there now. There's one that would actually be a brother to Ranger, but a different litter. Um, it, that's also made it out to Maine, and uh, okay. that guy's also real happy with them. They're not they're they're definitely cat dogs. Like sometimes they're a little slow to start on the bears. I mean, I run mine on bears. We catch bears all the time. Like they, they're fine on bears, but they're, they're a bit of a slower starter. It's easier right. to get them going on cats. They're definitely a natural cat dog. Okay. Huh. So, that's interesting. That's really interesting. So you got you went and picked up a couple, uh, a couple of these dogs, and then that's you right. Kind of built your built your pack off of those dogs. Or are you still kind of going back and forth with Dale, or how is that? Uh, what's uh, yeah, what's your so, current kind of looking like these days? Um, so, uh, I just fall, I just sold a brother to Ranger. I just, uh, gave him to a, f a friend of mine. who's kind of trying to get into hounds. So I gave, sent that one down there. And then, um, this fellow down in Abbotsford, who's actually still a mutual friend. He's also, uh, he's a mutual friend to Dill and he had actually had Dill coal stocks in the early two thousands. And so he's got some siblings to Ranger as well out of, out of, um, a different litter. And then I've got, uh, so I've got two females out of sport directly. Mm -hmm. Um, so from frozen semen. So those came directly from Dale. I've wow. got a female that came from, uh, the neighbor of Dale. I've only got the female left out of those two. Uh, I've got a sister to uh ranger. Um, and then I think we've got between me and the other felon officer there, I think we've got four more females and one male that are um siblings to that ranger dog but just out of a different litter sure okay so wow wow but, that's uh, a yeah, lot uh that's a lot of good material there yeah yeah and and we like i talked to um like dill and i we talk regularly and uh he he actually just had a litter down there he left those down there just with the border cross and stuff right now it's pretty difficult to get dogs up yeah for sure. um but uh, it sounds like there's another fella in Oregon who has a male out of the same litter that I have the two females out of, and he's getting out of hounds. Um, so we're going to try and get that male up here as well gotcha. and um, try and maybe breed him to um, what would be Ranger's sister. Yep. Um, so that would be that would be still the same bloodline, but it'd be um, 
just an outbreed, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's, that's exciting. Yeah. The, uh, the transporting dogs back and forth over the borders thing has, has been really, uh, it's been really challenging. It's the same here. Um, it's, it, got, it got a little bit easier there for a little while. Things got a little bit better over here. And then it just, people let their guard down and the numbers just went sky high. Um, so they closed the borders down again, which is a bummer because um, I was I was headed over to do some bear hunting with my young plot and I uh, had to cancel that trip because of it and then was going to go back and do some um, wild boar hunting and had to cancel that trip as well. So it's okay. uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been frustrating the whole border border crossing. Yeah, yeah. So you're crossing between Norway and Sweden then up there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I actually well, so Steve Moore Ursus plots there. Mm-hmm. Talking to him, he's actually since he said probably in the last twenty years or something, it's actually gotten more difficult now to, especially by plane to ship dogs to the states than it does for him to ship them to Scandinavia or Europe. Yeah, he's uh. Most of the plot stuff that's over here now is is the 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 very first plots that were brought over here, and a lot of the plots that are still being brought over are are Steve's stuff. You know, um, okay. the Ursus the Ursus plots have, have proven themselves to be, you know, I mean, not that they had anything left to prove, but you know, they like over here they're doing real well on the bear, and um, they're uh you know they're they're a heavier, little bit more robust uh, type of plot than some of the some of the coon uh you know a little hotter bread plots yeah Um, but you know it's that's kind of interesting too though because you know now we're starting to get other people that are that are starting to import some good dogs over here from from other kennels so it's not just the ursus stuff um uh that's over here um you know that obviously it's more more than good enough it's not that but it's it's always nice to have a little bit of variety to breed into and kind of keep the lines healthy and things like that so um yeah i know a guy over here just imported his he was a second dog from joy hosker down in down in florida a dog named heidi who she landed and i think was here for a few days before the before the bear season started and she had only ever run black bear yeah and she ran a six hundred and something pound brown bear Ooh. by herself, and they don't climb. So she like baited up on the ground uh, just a few yeah. days after she got here. I mean, must have been jet lagged as hell, and <laughs> yeah. uh, just just an absolute monster. Just just a great great dog. So I, I like getting I like seeing that uh, we're getting more you know better genetics and or you know more better genetics over here. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you always end up with a, uh, it's, I, I think the variety is good. It's always, you know, from a, from a dog breeding point of view, it's always good to have a little bit of variety, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're looking at too. It's, um, that's actually why we like that white cloud stuff too. It's just, they're good bear dogs and you know, you know, that way it's, it's a nice, nice bloodline to have, um, have around just to breed out to and, you mm-hmm. know, keep the blood flesh fresh and uh that's kind of why we're we actually from that same fellow we're bringing up a uh, white cloud female of his and that's kind of just to try and you know kind of diversify and keep that blood sure kind of you don't want to get too close but uh yeah th- th- i get pretty lucky because steve's only he lives only about an hour and a half from me and i think over the last five five years maybe six years every spring i go out um go out get a chance to go out hunting with him 
So oh, the dogs great. get to see, yeah. So they get to see a lot of bears and cause you know, Steve's always out. He's out every day during spring, spring bear. So we get to see a lot of bears and, you know, which is pretty beneficial for my dogs as well. Yeah, absolutely. So. And I mean, it's, it's always, it's gotta be great as a trainer too, to have not just a breeder, but a trainer to have the opportunity to measure your dogs kind of against an established thing. You know, it's not somebody who's just got one really good dog. You know, you've got to, you're able to measure your dogs up against somebody who's had many, many, many good dogs. Yeah. And that's got to be really cool. Yeah. 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 Oh, and it, it just even just as well, the knowledge, like we, we spend, um, you know, you go out there for a weekend and, and he does in the last few years just with COVID and, and his personal health, but um, he, he used to spend every spring three months or two and a half months out in uh at this ranch and he, they would run dogs every day so you know when you've got 40 50 60 dogs out there and they're running different dogs every day you get a pretty quick eye for seeing which kind of dogs turn out and what dogs do what and sure yeah so then yeah when you bring your dogs out there you kind of see what they compare to and how they do on bears and yeah it's it's it is nice because there's there's not many places you get to see that many dogs work and yeah, yeah like like you said right most guys have one or two good dogs or even if they have a pack of six, you know, there's a couple of young ones and a couple of good ones, but you know, that's not often you have a, you have 20 plots at a bear tree that are all finished dogs. Yeah. That's uh like, that's gotta be something. That's something special. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a blast. About it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, the, the nightmare is trying to get them off the tree. Oh yeah. I'll bet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've talked to a bunch but, of people about that and they, um, I talked to another guy over there in BC, Doug McMahon. Okay, and yeah. Yeah, I've talked he, to Doug a bit. Yeah, he's uh he talked about that that he uh he had a black and tan that just knocked him over and kind of beat him up a little bit too much trying to drag him off of trees one too many times and since then he's just spent spent a little bit more time training pups to kind of be beeped off of trees. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. it's in the country where I hunt too, it gets so steep and rocky that you know, if you get a dog that's kind of pulling her around like your bounty just take a tumble down the mountain which yeah. does happen but um yeah now like I, I try and make it so at least i can kind of lead them away from the tree and then you know once i get them 100 yards off the tree and i've got five or six dogs and I just kind of give them a minute to kind of bring that energy down and then i can usually just unleash them and go walk out of there yep so and that and that works okay for me like i mean it, it's also different like if you if you've been running spring bear the whole time they've got the thing bait and and they're like that's a different dog you're dealing with when the energy's that high mm. or you've got a, a lion that's jumped three times that's that energy is a lot different than a than a lynx that's 60 feet up a tree that they can hardly see sure so you know each, each situation is a little different but yeah it, it is it is nice do- to have dogs that handle handle good yep. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's... makes it more enjoyable absolutely absolutely so when you say you get a you've got a pup on your hands what are you going to run that dog on first are you going to break um, it on? Like, are you going to? Well, so the ones, actually, the first couple dogs that I had, I actually started them on rabbit. And I know uh, Sam Natole actually yeah, like, Sam did something similar. Talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I did, I did that a bit. I, cause that's also when I still had that beagle. So I just, when they were, you know, five months old, four months old, I just started taking them out in the woods and I, you know, just let them walk around and the beagle would go off and run a rabbit. And they slowly just got more interested in what the beagle was doing and started following him around. So that's how I got those started. The other ones, I just kind of, I bring them along and I, you know, when we get a, I, I'm not too picky on starting a track. Like I, I get, I just honestly, if, if it's a cold track, I don't really care. 
I'll dump mm-hmm. the box and whichever dog figures it out, figures it out. And sure. like, uh, you know, especially if you, when, when you have four or five, six, seven, ten dogs, it's, you know, if you're always taking out the same two good dogs that are good at starting tracks, sure, you're going to catch more tracks or it's going to be easier working them out. But I'd rather give all the dogs a chance to kind of get going. And so I do that. And if a pup goes along and runs in the race, then he goes off. And if not, then he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I mean, like it's more of a, and I know it's been good talking to Dale and Sam and those guys and even Steve and cause they, they're all, you know, they've seen it so many times. So it's, it's, it's a big patience thing, which oh yeah it's, that's hard to have sometimes when you're like, like, how's this cat? Like you've, you've got a lion 10 feet in the tree. Well, like, why is this dog not doing anything? You know, right. like, can I not see it? Like, right. And, the, and, the, and, but it's just, and then, you know, I'll go out the next time and all of a sudden it clicks and there he is treeing and you're like, Oh, so what the heck is going on last time? But it's just right. a matter of time and patience. And so I, I, I don't really particularly start them on anything specific. I just kind of let them tag along. And if they, if they, uh, catch on, they catch on and you, they do usually within time. Like I haven't, we, we've had a couple that were, uh, that we had to get, get rid of that word just a you know, it wasn't quite what we were looking for, mm. but most of them, it's just been a matter of time, really. Sure, that makes that makes sense. It's it's the the patience thing. I was I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, where <clears throat> there's a litter. One of the better dogs I've hunted with here is a treeing is a treeing walker, um, and I really like this dog. He was a little bit. He opened up a little bit early, which is here considered to be a fault, but that's something that I like. It get, it, I find that if they open up a little bit early, then if we're hunting fox, which in this case we were, the foxes tend to stay up longer. They don't den as quickly. If they're yeah, right on top of them when they open up, the foxes panic and den. And then, okay, yeah, it doesn't give them as much of a race. Right. Yeah. So the longer races, which is what I'm after, you know, I'm not after the, I'm not after the, you know, highest number of dead fox. I want the races. That's what I, that's what I get out yeah. of this, this, you know. Exactly. Um, but I was talking to him yesterday and, you know, that dog is two, maybe, and turning out to be a really nice dog. Not finished, but he's turning out to be a really nice dog. And I think three of his siblings have already been moved on to, to other people. Because they're the original owners just did not have the patience to wait for that development. It was just like they, you know, and you know, I've I've said it before uh, on the on the podcast where I, I I get this feeling that if people waited just a little bit longer and didn't expect to get that one man army right away as a mm-hmm. when they're youngsters, that you'd end up with a lot more good dogs. Than I think we've ended up with, uh, at least over here, and I'll include myself on, you know, in, in that that it's, you know, it's it's so easy to look at what other people are doing, especially when you get to run with people like you're talking about, like running with Steve and and Dale and those guys, you know, where you see all these super high functioning dogs, and then you've got a pup that's, you know, at the licking its t- balls at the tree. It's like, what are we, <laughs> yeah. you know, is is this worth waiting for? It, yeah, it it can be hard, man. That's like the hard moment. That's kind of the make or break. Kind of, I think what separates the good dogmen from the not good dogmen are the guys that are just like, well, you know, are able to just pour a cup of coffee or light a cigarette and look at the jaw and just look up at the cat and ignore the pup. You know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, and I know it, it took quite a few conversations with Dale and Sam too, like over the years, and they've definitely been a help as far as just like there's like just be patient. It'll come and. And that's actually, and you notice it too, like the females seem to develop a little quicker. The males are always 
just develop a little slower and a little slower to be interested in in cats and stuff like that yeah. uh which is actually the one the case was the one the female the first cat we ever got her on she started treeing and she was into it right away hmm. and i think it, it took that meal to the end of the season for him to finally kind of clue in and once he clued in he was good that hmm. was it like that's all it took but it was just yeah having the patience to wait him out and now it's kind of tough but i think that it, it happens a lot like you know everybody gets you get the odd trash race and you know that doesn't mean your dog's ruined if you can get on them and you, yeah. you know it, it's not over at that point and where you know you hear a lot of those guys talking when they've you know all he wants to do is run deer and i know there's dogs that do just run deer um sure. but you know i i would be lying if i said we don't have trash races it happens especially you know yeah. you get you, you get you come out of a bear season like this um october we're running bears one weekend and i come up and we get a snowfall up to where i'm at and i'm running cats the next weekend yeah so you go from running a hot bear to, to you know trying to cold trail links out mm-hmm. your dogs are going to be a little you know they're gonna be on overrunning stuff they're not going to be so patient they're right yeah and then you get if you get a couple young dogs in there they might if you know if you jump a deer they might might go after it for a little bit oh but for sure that i happens. mean that's anybody that says that their dogs never never run trash is <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if they'd say it with their hand on a Bible, put it that way. They, yeah, it's, exactly. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I and my attitude with the trash running is that it's it's so much easier to break them off or to to get it over with when they're puppies, you know, because I've got a I've got a walker here that it took me knock on wood. She's not run trash once so far this season. Yeah. Since August. Um, which is a, a, an enormous improvement from running trash all the time. I mean, she would leave a fox to run old deer track. Yeah. Okay. But um, what, were you, is that a dog then when you're soloing her or she with other dogs then? No, I mean, we've, I've got to solo them here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You guys got all yeah, the restrictions. We've got all the run. weird restrictions and stuff. Yep. So, um, you know, but she, so that makes it tough starting pups, I guess. Oh, it's super tough, man. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's hard because she was really bad with roe deer, like the little those little like roe roe deer over here. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. so that took me a long time to break her of, and I, you know, I'll I'll say when people ask me, you know, is she, is she, you know, broke off trash? I'll say, well, ask me tomorrow, and I'll tell you if she was broke off trash today. You know, it's like yeah. I, I think so, but. Um, you know, the plot, um, you know, she came to me as uh, the, the, the Walker came to me as an adult already, the plot I've had since he was a pup. And, you know, with him, it was such a different experience breaking him off a of trash, you know, because mm-hmm. he, he hadn't run, he had run moose a couple of times, but I, I think kind of realized he got kicked in the face and kept running him after that, but was still a little bit like, I think he realized that there were safer things to be running than, than the moose. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, we had a run the other day, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, actually, um, where I put him down, he denned a fox, we were walking back to the truck and he peeled off and ran, ran deer. And I was able to get in front of him within 20 minutes. I was able to get in front of him and, and get him off those deer and, you know, kind of told him what I thought about that. And then we went on, you know, but then I got, got him right back out there, you know, the same the same yeah. minute you know mm-hmm. just changed changed directions went and found three more foxes that day for him yeah you know and then since then 
you know, we've, we've bumped deer, we've crossed deer and he's just not showing any real interest in it. You know, it seems like the, I didn't make a huge deal out of it. And it seems like he just kind of picked up on that. I wasn't, I wasn't cool with this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, but it's, um, you know, the trash, the trash breaking stuff can be, can be really hard, you know? And then I've had another dog where the only thing I ever needed to say to him was, Hey, 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 once. And he was like, Oh, okay. Never again. Yeah. I mean, he could yeah, run he, under their bellies and just they, like wouldn't care. It was the craziest thing. Yeah. No, that's kind of how it happens. Like, it, <clears throat> I was pretty fortunate because when I got these two um, young dogs, like the first two pups, um, I also had a, got a couple um, starter dogs uh, that, that a guy, actually, that mutual friend of ever said that he let me borrow. And mm-hmm. I, so I had two dogs who had been on bears and cats and everything. And, and, and that does help. And I mean, oh, you guys yeah. don't get that perk. Uh, but it, it's definitely so beneficial just to have a dog that knows what they're doing and it barks at the right thing. And, and I, and I, I don't really generally have a lot of trouble with trash. You, you get it. Maybe the odd young dog will show a bit, but I mean, I, this year, I think I, I honestly can't recall the last time we did run trash. We've been pretty fortunate. Uh, I think maybe last spring we, we had a couple of young dogs take off after one, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, I get pretty fortunate, but it, it's usually the young dogs. Yeah. Like you said, you get after them a little bit, but they've, they, they are, I mean, as far as Cole's dogs go and, and anybody that's even just been around mine or, uh, or around Dills or anybody who's had Cole's dogs, they are very, they're, it's all business. Like they're very business. Like, you know, when the truck's there, they load up, mm-hmm. there's no, they're, they're quiet in a kennel. Like I, I live in a, on three acres and I've got neighbors and I think my dogs are some of the quietest dogs in the neighborhood. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, that's, so, huge, you know, yeah. And that, uh, cause I can't stand a dog that never shuts up when he's, when he's on the chain and he's just always barking or in the kennel, and he's always barking. That's just, that's no fun to have around. And, it, you know, and, and they, and then they, you have them in the house and they're, you know, they just go lay on the mat and that's it. They don't chew up your whole house or they're not right. fighting each other. It's just, they're all mannered. That's great. That sounds like a great group. Yeah, somebody somebody said sent me something the other day where it was like, uh, you know, you're what was it? Something like you know, you're a houndsman when you pause a video of a hound, a pack of hounds at a tree to yell at your own hounds to shut up. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. It's funny. My parents have got dogs in the house. Like they got a couple German short hairs. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and here too, it's like if I'm watching hound videos or whatever, or I'm just showing some people some videos of cats we treat and. You know, you can just see all the dogs here start perking up and looking yeah. around and you're like, oh yeah, they know what's going on. Yeah. That's so cool. It's go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh yeah. So I, I don't know. That's, I've always been, I've been pretty lucky with those. Like, and I, you know, I've been around, uh, Steve's dogs and I like, I've been around enough guys who've had hounds that, you know, I'm pretty lucky with how well mannered mine have been. And, and I mean, and that's no thanks to mine, you know, it's Dill and his, his father who, you know, started in the 1930s, who've been breeding them this whole time, who've you know, sure. made, read it into them. And, and that's what Dill says too. He's like, they're very, it's just the way they are. They just want to go cat hunting. And that's sure. as simple as that. I mean, if you run them enough, that's helps too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, tell me, I guess let's get into it a little bit with, with the, cause it's the Coles national cat hound. Right? Yeah. Or Coles cat hounds. That's what they're, yeah. Coles national cat hound. can't even remember exactly what they're registered as. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it yeah, I got it here. Um, yeah, Cole's National Cat Hound is what the bloodline is registered as. Yeah, okay. What? Tell me what this dog is like for people who have never heard 
like pretend I've never heard of this dog. What what have you got? What you know? What are you? What does it look like? What are you? What have you got there? Um. So they've actually kind of cropped up as pretty well anything kind of more walkery, blue tick looking. Um. They actually started out so um the the very first two dogs that Dill's father purchased in 1930. Uh, one of them was actually a foxhound. Mm-hmm. And and the other one was a cross of a blue tick, uh, had a little bit of cur in it, uh, black and tan, and maybe a little bit of walker. It was just a kind of a crossbreed. And from that, everything's just kind of been bred out from that. And okay. and his dad actually just traveled around the states for for work. So he got a, he got to hunt all over. He hunted in California, everywhere. And uh, so he just kind of bred into some good stock whenever he needed it. Mm-hmm. And then um, it it was in the nineteen seventies. Uh, that deal actually registered the bloodline and then they kind of kept more track and stuff like that. And, uh, but the, the sport dog, which is just kind of the big dog, uh, h- historically in the Cole's blood, that's kind of really made the line what it is. Sure. Um, he was, he was kind of more blue tick looking. Um, okay. but I've like, we've get litters here where half of them are blue tick. Uh, they get some Walker looking stuff. You mm-hmm. even get like a bit of, uh, English, like red tick mm-hmm. looking stuff. Um, yeah, so it comes out a little bit. Actually, the last two litters we had, even even if you, I think if you look closely at Ranger, I think uh, you can see a little bit of brindle in their head. Really? They've even got a little, yeah, okay. they've got a little bit of brindling in them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a little bit of a mix mash of everything, which, um, I mean, even if you talk to Steve and stuff, he's like, the best pack of dogs you'll ever have is a mixed pack, which, you, you know, coming from a guy who's only ever owned plots. Sure. Uh, or Mozo only ever plots. You know, that's you know, if that's what he's saying, then I mean, that's that's a good guy to take a word from. Yeah, you know, I I I, I look at some of these dry, you know, some the lion hunters mainly the lion hunters. You know, you've got you've got the occasional lion hunter that will stick to one specific breed. Yeah, but it seems rare to me. Yeah, you know, my yeah, my I... my observation anyway. From a from afar has been that, you know, the, the different dogs, different lines, different breeds that they each have their strengths and their weaknesses, and you know sometimes it makes sense to have. And I mean, I remember it from the sled dog world as well. That it made sense to have some different strengths and weaknesses in your pack, just you know, because they can compensate for each other. It's hard to get that one man dog that can do it all, and you know sometimes it makes sense to have a little bit of a, you know faster hotter nosed you know dog that can put a put some pressure on something once it's jumped versus you know at the same time having something that's real cold nosed and pot liquor type that can get it started eh? yeah yeah we get like i mean we get that here quite a bit and and uh you all like there's kind of a saying around here that some a, a lion hunter usually always has a that runs bears usually always has a couple plots yeah even if he's a lion you know and that's and that's kind of the way it works and i remember like we we started bear hunting and and um and you know we'd we'd get a strike and you'd be striking it like because we usually strike them off the rig or something or out mm-hmm. of the box here mm-hmm. so you'd be you'd be striking this bear for a mile you know with a cold nosed dog he's just yappy yap 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 yeah okay so there's a bear here but where within this mile is this bear right you know we get a dog that's a you know you bring in some of those plots and maybe some some uh dogs aren't quite cold as cold nosed and um you know you start driving that road and you can usually narrow down as to where this bear crossed pretty quick and you know so yeah it like you said, every dog's kind of got its place and, yeah. you know, you try to, of course, you try, you try to get dogs that can do it all. Um, but, uh, there's definitely dogs that have a better strengths here and there and 
and I've got one female. She's just an awesome tree locator. And, you know, she, she start can start a track, not the coldest. No, she can start a track packs up good mm-hmm. mean on a bear, but uh, still smart. And yeah, but she just, every, every cat she locates and doesn't leave the tree she, and, you know, which is awesome to have, That's great. you know, and yeah. she's not, not the coldest dog. She hasn't, she's usually not the first one to start a track, but yeah, she's always, she packs in and wants the track going and, you know, she just needs another dog usually to kind of start it. Um, I mean, she, she'll, she'll run a line pretty easily, but it's usually those Lynx tracks or frozen Lynx tracks pretty tough to start sometimes. And, yeah, and, uh, but yeah, you need dogs like that. Like, you, you know, it's, it's a little bit of everything that really makes a pack work, especially you get some of these links that are, you get, you get in these big blowdowns and the links goes up and, um, yeah, just, just a spot of spot of links in some of those situations is pretty tough. So you need a mm. dog that that's good at that. And I know, oh, for sure. I know, um, I've talked to Doug there too, a few times and he's got some pretty good Lynx dogs and that's kind yeah. of, um, probably our toughest cat here to catch would probably be a Lynx. Okay. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard people say that, that Lynx are, Lynx can be really challenging to, to catch. And we, you know, it's the only cat we have over here. You know, we don't have the bobcats, yeah. we don't have the lions. So it's only Lynx that we're able to, uh, that we're able to run over here. And like I said, it's a, it's a, a quota. So the hunting season is, is short. We can track them. So like the, you and I were actually going to do a podcast together like a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I think I was the one who first sent you a message and said, Hey, I'm on a Lynx track right now. Can, can we push it out an hour? You're like, yeah, that's no problem. I just found, I just found some tracks myself and it ended up where both of us sort of agreed on the fact that uh, <laughs> now we're going to do this another day. The cat tracks come first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we get pretty lucky. We can usually find a track cat track, but that was pretty so early in the season. We ended up finding a lion track that I think that was pretty rained out that day. We never did get them going. Yeah. But yeah, so usually link tracks we can find quite regularly up where I'm at. Um, but yeah, it's funny how even just cats behave differently. Like you talk to Sam, most of the bobcats they catch will be on the ground mm. where it's not very often that we catch a bobcat on the ground here. They'd all tree. Is that right? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's just the cats just kind of behave a little different. Uh, but yeah, the lynx, too, sometimes you get lucky, you'll pop a lynx up, you know, you get them on his feet and you pop them up pretty quick, but there'll be, there'll be races that last all day and you got to pull the dogs off at nighttime because right. you just never catch them. So. Right. Uh, over there, are you catching lynx on the ground as well, or are they mostly climbing? No, they're all climbing. Yeah, are it, they? It, it, yes. yeah, it happens very rarely. Like maybe if one jumps tree or something, you catch them going up a bluff or something. It happens very, very rarely. Same with bobcats, very rarely. The odd cat, like the old lion, will stay on the ground too, but just it doesn't happen often. They'll, okay. they'll, you know, sometimes you get some dogs cut up. Like I've had a couple dogs killed, but it doesn't happen often that you catch them right on the ground. Not, not, not like, not like they do on the like. I think Sam was saying something like ninety percent of their cats are on the ground. There, like, yeah. there's nowhere near that. That's yeah, that surprised me. That uh, <laughs> that surprised me when he said that. Because um, yeah, we, you know, we've got uh, they climb occasionally here, but uh, it's it seems like they're caught a little bit more on the ground here than they are over there. Um, hmm. It's you know not necessarily like on the flat ground, but you know they'll they'll be up on a they'll be up on a rock or something like that, you know, up yeah. on a little, on a little ledge, but they won't, they won't tree in a tree as often, I think, as they do huh. there. For no, some no, he, I'm not sure why. Yeah. No, here, here generally they, they are, they're treeing or they'll run. It's, yep. they don't usually stop and fight. Um, which I mean, that's fine too. 
Um, but yeah, they, they, it, they are just a tough cat. I mean, if they decide to run, they'll run. And especially if the snow gets a little bit like just, just, I mean, last week we had some real, like we had, I think we had a foot of fresh snow. We caught a track right away that morning. You run it. And then it's not like a huge advantage to the cat. He's still sinking into the snow a fair bit as well. So then the dogs can put some pressure on him, but you know, you get that couple day old snow or something or some older snow underneath where the cat can stay on top. And mm-hmm. the dogs are pushing through like you. It's a good way to wear out dogs and never catch anything. And yeah, you can be on those sure. links all day, for sure. So, but no, and, and they're but they're a fun animal. I mean, especially where we're at, there's there's so many of them that you can usually. I mean, I heard it sounds like you have a pretty hard time finding tracks sometimes, but here here most areas you can just about find a lynx track. That's interesting. Yeah, here I mean here it's rough, man. We've got we've got a Facebook group or like a Facebook chat thing um, where we kind of keep each other updated on where the Fox is going. We've, we've kind of been tagging each other out, tracking the same or sorry, not the Fox, the cat tracking the same couple of cats for the last month. And it's, it's the same too. Like we know there are two around here and it's those two that we're keeping track of. And I mean, if, if we suddenly like stopped keeping track of these cats and had to start from scratch again, boy, that would, uh, (laughs) that would be a, that would, I mean, like last, last year I drove, I drove every day for the entire cat season, which lasted, it took a, it took a long time to fill the quota in the, in the surrounding areas. So it lasted probably, I drove every day for three weeks and never saw a track. Yeah, that's rough. And that was, that was, that was tough. You know, I was hunting other things. So, you know, I'd drive looking for cat tracks until I, and then I'd catch a, you know, cut a fox track and I'd let him go on that just to give him something to run, get him out, get, you know, blow out some energy. But the, uh, yeah, the cats, I found one track in December and then found another track in April and that was it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's about three different spots that are within five minutes of the house, 10 minutes of the house that I, I can pretty well know if it's two day old snow, I'll cut a lynx trap. It's yeah. pretty well guaranteed. So, okay. but yeah, bobcats are a little bit more, especially like those both, both bobcats and lions, they get a little bit more concentrated. Once the snow gets deep enough on top of the mountains, once all the deer kind of move down into the valleys and stuff yeah. and the cats will start getting a bit more concentrated. I mean, other than the lynx, they stay up top, but yeah, then, then you're, then the driving really, gets minimized just a couple canyons and i mean there's been three canyons i've been hitting for most of december and i've been running or i've been cutting a track every day i go out so that's amazing I mean, wow yeah it's oh, hard to beat sounds like paradise <laughs> man <laughs> yeah no and it's awesome like I, I mean i've lived in a couple different spots uh even within british columbia and i mean uh the one area i lived it was you know by five o'clock in the morning you've passed three other cat hunters you know which I, I right. It's nice to see other guys out, but at some point, it's just. I mean, you you drop your dogs on a day old uh, lion track, you know, and it crosses um crosses a power line somewhere, and some guy is already sitting there with a snowmobile, got his dogs on it, and mm-hmm. it's just kind of at some point, it just kind of gets a little frustrating. But at this spot where I'm at now, we have a, we have a bit of wolf problems here and okay. there, depending where you're at. But other than that, I'm the only houndsman that I've seen out there so far, which has been awesome. Yeah, uh, how are Talk a little bit about the wolf problems. Like, how are you? How are you dealing with that? Uh, yeah, you just avoid them, I guess. Yeah, that's how I. That, yeah, I mean, it's easier said than done. I have never, I've never really had problems with 
I haven't had a problem yet of wolves coming in on dogs. Um, we usually like if I if I caught wolf tracks, I just leave the area. That's just kind of it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's kind of just a safe bet. I, there's enough other areas to go. Um, it's not a thing I I'd want to risk, but I have like the uh, the areas actually both areas where I've had dogs killed have been an area that has been heavily populated with wolves. But so they do think there's a bit of a correlation there that makes a cat's want to fight off a little bit more maybe yeah, just always yeah, being chased sure. off of kills and stuff whatnot right so. yeah yeah that could definitely be yeah for sure huh yeah because it's it's a problem over here um you know there's not a lot of wolves but the the conflict with hunters then it happens so often here and i i don't i don't totally know why you know because mm. we like we had a wolf that rolled through my area here just like a a you know traveling stranger type type deal um and he hung out here for a couple of weeks and i just kind of avoided being in the same area you know with him it what w- like it wasn't a huge deal but there was a pair like a you know a couple um male and female over not far from here hour and 45 minutes that they ended up having a kill because they were protect i mean they were in a protected area but they were they had stopped apparently had stopped hunting everything else and were targeting these little spits moose dogs hmm. oh yeah that's no good and killing <laughs> killing and eating <laughs> people's hunting dogs dogs um and it's that it's not an uncommon thing no no i mean you hear a lot of those horror stories and and i like i mean if you know it's just one wolf that's one thing i mean you know if you've got a pack of six or seven or ten dogs out there one wolf's not the biggest warrior in the world but it's also you don't know what you do what you're missing out on if you find one track on the road that's just happens to be one track on the road there could be a dozen in the bush you just never know yeah so i just i try to just kind of avoid those areas i mean you you know there could also be wolves that you're not seeing in other areas but if you know they're there it's just i don't know it feels it feels good to know that you're in an area where there isn't wolves if if yeah, yeah. You just feel a little bit more um, reassured that your dog's gonna be all right at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it's uh, it's gotta be. Do, do you guys get you guys get some big packs out there then, or is it usually just one or two? We don't get the real big packs. You know, not like the Montana packs that are you know, real big. Um, you know, they'll. I think we've got a pack. I don't actually know what the biggest pack over here is. I I don't think it's more than ten or eleven animals. Okay, yeah, that's um, a decent size. Yeah, I mean, the, but that's, I think that's probably the biggest, like, one of the biggest ones in Scandinavia. For the very most part, it's individuals and, and you know, pairs. Yeah. Um, that, you know, they'll they'll raise a litter of puppies, but then the pups will move on, you know. Um, yeah. And there's so much conflict with, between wolves and livestock, and that unless they're collared wolves living in the sort of protected area, they don't have much of a leg to stand on. Like their 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 odds are not very good. You know, the second no. they second and you know the nor the Norwegians also do this. They take advantage of the good grazing in the mountains during the summer, and they yeah. let they let their sheep and their and their um some of their cows uh up into the mountains to graze all summer. But um you know the mountains being what they are, it's it's hard to kind of keep them all together. They don't flock like they do uh other places necessarily yeah um so you know if you get predators in there they're just it's just this sort of endless smorgasbord of of 
of food and <laughs> yeah. it's really hard to kind of locate them and you're not you know it's hard to we've tried with um like the guardian the big guardian dogs like the livestock guardian dogs it hasn't yeah. worked just because the sheep aren't flocking yeah so you know you can have a dog patrolling a you know 10 square mile area but you know the chances that it's just if, if it bumps into anything it's going to be more or less by chance than that it actually knows something's going on yeah Okay. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a funny, uh, a funny funny system, um, you know. Here here with those with those things, it's um, it's just in terms of the, the how much freedom the sheep have to move around during the summertime, um, and how quickly uh, the predators get removed from the ecosystem uh, as soon as they start targeting sheep, which I mean is fairly immediately you know it's it's an, you know we talk about breaking yeah. dogs off of trash you know what are you going to do to yeah. break a wolf <laughs> off of something f fat and easy to kill you know it's yeah. like yeah nice and smelly yeah that but, too eh? yeah no here we use like there's a few areas like act actually this this uh fall i was hunting a couple times and we'd had a couple freak snow falls and every single time um you know, you, you see a, a moose track or something like that. And the, and the moose numbers aren't quite what they used to be. Um, uh, but if you, you find a moose track and I mean, within a mile of there, you'd find a pack of wolves Okay, on that moose moving wow. along with it. And yeah, really? Wow. Yeah. So it, it, I mean, there, there's a few areas you just know the wolves are going to be for the winter. So, you know, once they kind of move into that area, just quit hunting that area and move on to the next, but they seem to, um, I mean, there's enough of them. Like I, I can find wolf tracks every day, but, uh, you, you know, you get close enough to kind of farms and stuff like that, where there's people, they usually don't kind of, they don't move into those areas too heavily. You get the odd one passing through, but sure. we don't, um, the, the packs, all the big ones kind of stay out of, out of those areas, but, but you, sure. you hear about it. You hear enough horror stories of guys, you know, in Montana or even in Alberta here, I think two years ago, a guy lost a pack of seven dogs or something like that to wolves coming in. And that's brutal, man. Yeah, yeah, everything you've worked for to create and it's just gone just like that. Yeah, so. that's that's brutal. That is brutal. Uh, the wolf, the, the sorry, the the moose population being down is that because of the wolves or is that um, are there other explanations? Uh, yeah, large part it's because of the wolves. I mean, they've that's um, it's not even just the wolves. It's even um, the elk population. Uh, what would be the East Kootenays of British Columbia? The elk population there has been down and stuff. Just yeah, the the wolf numbers are just they're high. Mm. Um, but uh, they like it. It has been. I mean, every any houndsman you talk to in British Columbia, you know, if they see a wolf, they're they're gonna try and get rid of them. Just and people have been kind of on that same page in the hunting community here. So the the numbers from at least what I've seen. And people I've talked to, like even some of the ranchers in our area, you know, have been trapping them and stuff like that and getting mm -hmm. rid of them. It seems like the numbers are kind of getting beat back in some of the areas. Yeah. Right. So, which, which has been good and numbers seem to be coming, coming back. So hopefully we're kind of over top of it, but good. Yeah. I guess time will tell. I, th I think also, you know, based on, based on some studies that they've done, uh, out in, I don't know whether it's California or Oregon, Washington, one of those Western you know, one of those Western states on the, uh, the sort of hazing of mountain lions. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's Washington there that where that guy's doing that. Yeah. 
um, you know, I, I would imagine that just the fact that they're, that you're allowed to hunt them around your area is enough to make them a little bit, a little bit cagier around people. You would think that they would kind of tr- teach them to hold a little bit of, uh, keep a little bit of distance. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of the areas, uh, out here are pretty rural. Mm. Um, you know, there's chunks of uh, like valleys where it's just kind of pasture and then like the hillsides are all trees and stuff and the deer come down into those fields and graze and then up, up on the south side south asian sides it's usually good bedding areas and you that's usually kind of where you catch a catch traveling through but generally i mean there's there's enough deer you don't really hear about it too much a catch are coming in the, um into um you know people's acreages and stuff and if they do they pass through like actually just before christmas i did find a a tom track and it was just um just kind of outside of this little town and uh it was going through all kind of these little like a little cul-de-sac of five acre parcels 10 acre parcels things like that Mm -hmm. but i mean it's it's mostly just passing through there's been the odd you know you get these odd people odd places where the where you know a young cat or sick cat or something will come in and kill somebody's sheep or goats or kills Mm -hmm. a horse or you know, you get those odd stories, but I think, you know, and people are more aware of it now. You, everybody's got a trail camera up on every corner of their property. So they see stuff moving past and through that they would never have noticed before. So right. I think people are a little bit more aware of it now than they used to be. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, right. There's, there's cats have always been there. We've kind of moved into their area and those cats have always kind of been living within those, within those places. But yeah, you get the odd cat that just gets a bad habit or it's a young cat trying to establish some territory and yeah, they'll come in and, They'll come in and kill somebody's sheep or, you know, um, kill some chickens or whatever else is easy to get at. But um, right. generally, they, I mean, they they try to, they, they, if there's a healthy deer population, you usually don't get too much of a problem with it. Okay, gotcha. That's, uh, that's interesting. That's real interesting. Huh. Yeah. So what, 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 what season are you in right now? Like, what are you, what are you hunting the most right now? Uh, so right now it would be, um, it's, so our lion season up where I'm at is pretty long. It's September till I believe the end of April. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, I do a bit of hiking around, uh, early season when there's not, uh, no snow yet, but I mean, bears are still open then too. Bears are open from September end to November. Okay. Um, and then November 15th, um, I believe where I'm at, it's November 15th to February 15th, Bobcat and Lynx are open. Yeah. So during this time when the snow is not too deep yet and, you know, I can get into some good Lynx area, I'll just try and run a Lynx. Just, you know, you only get a few months to do it. So, uh, sure. and that's even the, just depending on the snow. So I'll just try and, if I, if I cut a Lynx track or Bobcat track, I'll try for them. I mean, it's hard to pass up. If I, if I wake up in the morning and drive over a big old lion track, I'm going to run the lion. Like right. that's pretty hard to pass up, a, pass up a nice cat. But, um, but these first couple of months, I really try and kind of focus on the, on the small cats. It's, yeah. you know, you, you only get a couple of months to run them. And I'm, I mean, lions, you can, you can hunt half the year. And then, and then from April to end of June, we're in the spring bear again. So there's only really two months out of the year that we can't where I'm at that you can't hunt, uh, or run dogs really. I know, I know about, three hours north of me i think the area opens already um august i think or mid-august you can already start running bears again so it's really only a month and a half that they can't run dogs so wow yeah yeah and you... that's actually kind of the area that's kind of why i moved to that area it's just the opportunity like you said like we were on the similar quota system like you guys have there in alberta the cats are on that very similar system so if, mm. if you know if those areas get shut down right away you, you know you have to drive six hours to an open area and, you right. know, and then it's, you start, you start concentrating hound hunters as well. If that's the only area that's open. Where's all the hound hunters going to be in that right. area? They're going to be right there. So, right. 
yeah, we're in BC. It's open season for cats. So, you know, everybody can, everybody can just go over to their little honey hole that they got and right. have a good time. So that's always nice. That's great. Do you do, uh, guiding as well? Or are you hunting mainly for your own edification? Like what's, uh, um, yeah. What do you, what do, you do up there? Mostly just do it for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, um, I mean, I actually do some spot and stock bear guiding and stuff. And then in the fall, we'll get uh, mountain goat hunts and moose hunts and elk mm-hmm. hunts and stuff like that. So I help out with a few of those. Um, but as far as like the cats go, I did a couple of them. Um, but then, I mean, I mean, I hadn't really settled down and, you know, and then you're kind of traveling all over and, you know, with work, you don't always get that time off. But uh, I, I mean, we guided a few cat hunts, um, but I'm, I'm more about the dogs. I like mm-hmm. the dogs more, you know, I'd rather. I'd, you, you know, if you have a client and it's, you know, and he's only got a cougar tag and you run across a nice lynx, you know, I'd rather just go see the dogs run the lynx just as much. Sure. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah, you I know? get so that. You, yeah. yeah, that's, then that's the, the hard part with guiding, you know, or even if you see a, you know, a female, it's like, you know, it's a female trees just the same. I'm not going to shoot it. You know, right. it'd still be good for the dogs to get an exercise in. But if you have yeah, your guiding, you generally pass up those female tracks because the guy only wants to shoot a tom. So, you know. Then I'm more about just getting dogs out, and I mean, between the other guy, he's got four other young dogs that need starting yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so with my with my pack, I just kind of every time I he comes up to my place, I, he just leaves a different dog behind, and I get a chance to kind of get this dog started, and yep. uh, just kind of you know keep rotating through like that. And I, and I I just enjoy that a lot more. It's you know usually some, sometimes when you start doing like even the elk hunting and stuff, it's great. Guiding is fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, but some of this, you know, when you start doing stuff for money, it does change the game a little bit. So. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as far as distribution of the Coles, uh, cat hound, are there, are there a lot of them other places or is it like you, you and a handful of other guys that are really kind of, you know, doing, doing the legwork here? Like how, how, how yeah, I w- widespread is the breed? Right. Uh, I'd say it's more kind of what you're talking about. Secondly, there's just, I think it's more just a handful of guys. Um, you know, there's a, I talked to enough guys who's like, Oh, I had a friend of a friend, you know, who ran with one and said they're really good. And, you know, they're right. kind of looking at trying to get a pup, but Dale never really bred him. I mean, he advertised a full cry a bit, but he never really was. I mean, and I get it. It's hard to let go of it. You know, once you get a nice litter on the ground, it's hard to let go of sure. one. Yeah. You want to see them all turn out. Um, so he never really bred a lot to sell, but I mean, yeah, you get, you, there's a couple on the East coast there now. Um, I mean, there's some in Oregon. He sent us some to friends in, um, Colorado, I believe. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Dick Muldoon. Um, that is a name def- I have heard. Yeah. Yeah. So he had Mathis hounds. Um, yeah. He, yeah. And he was in New Mexico. So Dill Coles actually had some Mathis hounds at his place for a bit. Um, and then Dick Muldoon actually had some Coles stock. So there's been a few guys and I, I forgot the guy's name now. There's one guy who he wrote a book. Um, it, it might even just be, it's, it's, a, it's, I think it's got a pretty simple, simple title. Just like just treat or something. And the guys, um, I believe he's maybe Wyoming or something like that. Um, and he actually bred, he actually mentions in his book he's had some Dill Cole stock, and he, I yep. believe, crossed it up with some of Dell Cameron's blue ticks at that point. Okay, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, there, I mean, there, you, you hear about it the odd time here and there, but, I mean, he, since I've known him, I think Dill's only had two liters of, of purebred Cole stock that he's had. So, I mean, okay. how many wow. hounds can there be? Yeah, and I, I pretty well know where all of them are. So, yeah, right. it's, it's <laughs> mainly just a handful of guys. 
Right. Yeah. So wow, that's uh, that's exciting. That's got to be that's got to be hard to keep track of. Like in just in terms of keeping that line, it, it's it's like one. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, the guy who had a you know seven dogs taken out by a pack of wolves. It's like it's one bad day away from having a real problem. Like, yeah, yeah, I can end quick. Well, and that's kind of you know you you look at a guy like Steve. You know, there's a reason he had so many dogs. You know, right. you you want to you want that bloodline, and even if if there's a and that's you know I'm no expert breeder. I still talk to uh, Coles a lot, and you know you talk to Steve and pick his brain. But you know he, even like a guy like Steve, if he's got a female that has got good breeding, he's he'll some of some of them he won't even hunt on bear, just right. strictly breeding, just to avoid the chance of it getting killed. Or you sure. know, he waits till they're two years old, shows good on bears, and then that's it. Then they're just for breeding stock. Right. But I'm I mean, I'm pretty lucky. I got a guy here, he's about three hours away from me. He's got a a brother to ranger and then a brother to ranger out of a different litter. Um I mean, Dale Coles has still got some stuff, um, you know, so there, there's enough of it around that we can kind of keep going, but, mm-hmm. and he's kind of been, I've been lucky enough where he's kind of, uh, entrusted me to kind of try and keep that going. Sure. And, um, yeah, so, you know, he's kind of given me some contacts of guys that, that have some of that blood and, um, yeah, so, so, but you're right. It, it is, it is tough. And, you know, especially here, we're running mainly big games. So, you know, those guys that are running the coal stock on bears, you, you don't know what's going to happen. So it, it is nice to know that there's a, a few guys around that have some stuff. And most of the guys that, that we've sent dogs to over the years, like even Sam, Sam's a guy I talk to regularly, uh, even just like a quick hay or something like that. Right. So it's always if, if it came down to it, if I needed Ranger for breeding, I could always send him a female to get bred or you know, so you try and keep those guys in a, in a bit of a friend circle so you can you can get back to those dogs if you need some of that blood Absolutely. back, which is, yep. you know, pretty important. It's hard to it's hard to be able to keep all those dogs yourself and make it work. So it is, you know, it, it seems like uh, but it, it seems like more and more guys are doing that these days, you know, kind of just getting getting something they like and then holding on to it, uh, being real kind of protective of it, which is. I think it's, you know, it's one way to build a really solid line for sure. But, on, you know, on the flip side, you end up, you know, you end up pretty bad. You know, you you can end up in a pretty bad situation if you have something, you know, unfortunate happen to your kennels or your home or, you know. Uh, yeah. Or, or and I think you get, I think you kind of get to a point where you get you start putting some blinders on, too. If, if all you ever run is your dogs that you've bred and, you know, they and they hunt in the conditions that they're used to. You know, I'm not gonna lie. When I first moved to, from Alberta to BC, where Alberta, where we're running lions, it's pretty flat. The snow is usually deep, but it's flat. You get into like that some of that mountain train, or you get like, and then we run some bears down onto the coast where it's big cedars and you know little thickets, and mm-hmm. yeah, you, your dogs react differently in it, in every situation. I mean, so let alone shipping dogs all the way to the east coast where they're running bears with a guy like Sam. You right. know, it's it's a completely different type of hunt. So I like I like knowing that a guy like that has them, and when you talk to him, he gives you feedback and. You know, so you can see how your dogs react in all these different spots and the the good and the bad and what mm-hmm. he thinks maybe we should try to like some that maybe you can try and breed to improve or, you know, because you, you, if you all you ever had was just your dogs in your kennel and that's all you ever hunted, it's pretty easy to say that they're good because you right. don't you don't get another guy's input. So you, you don't. Yep. I, and I think that's right. Sam knows what a good bear dog is. He's been around the plots. Mm. So for him to say, you know, that Rangers 
been really good on bear. That's, you know, okay. So that's, it's nice to hear from a guy like that. And you know, you'd never get that feedback if, if all I ever did was just hunt on myself. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's absolutely something that's worth, I think worth thinking about when you're, when you're trying to build something that is your own or trying to maintain something that's, um, that's worth maintaining, like, like what you're doing. I was talking to, um, uh, Johan Plank, who's been on the podcast before he's from Austria, but he's got this, he's, he's created this line of, um, like, uh, wired haired Bosnian hounds or he is okay. created it. He's, he's bred this line of, uh, there, you know, the, the hounds have been there for forever. Um, but you know, he, he he talked a little bit about that, that, uh, he, you know, with each litter, he tries to send at least one pup somewhere totally new. Yeah. Just cause he's real interested to see, you know, okay. He knows, he knows they hunt, you know, he he knows they'll hunt wild boar in Bosnia. Like they've been doing for a thousand years. Of course they can do that. You know, what are they going to do? You know, are they going to be able to hunt bear and Sweden? Are they going to be able to hunt, you know, uh, you know, handle some of these bigger Southern boars, you know, like what, how's, how's this all going to work out? You know? Um, and it, it gives him a lot of, you know, he's a, he's a numbers guy and he's an information guy. The guy, I mean, if, if he, he started talking about breeding and was very quickly out of my depth in terms of complicating, you know, how complicated what he was talking about was, um, yeah. super intelligent guy, but you know, he's in, he says it himself that he wants he wants to see what those dogs can do because it gives him sort of information points that he takes with him as he moves forward in his breeding program, which is, um, Oh, exactly. And it's like, I mean, yeah. Cause even like you get a guy like, like, like Sam, who's runs a Dan Luke plots. There's nobody out here that runs or that I know of that runs Dan Luke plots. So it's interesting to see, you know, how they fare against a dog like that. And which, I um, on my own I couldn't even do that, so it's easy enough to just send him in, and if he he thinks they compare good, and you know right. that's it's easy. It's a e- a cheaper way to get feedback and trying to do it all on your own. That's for sure. I think so. Yeah, and I mean it's it's. I mean if you just look at the plots, it's the way it's the way the plots were kind of created. You know, you hear stories from you know the people, a bunch of the mountain families in the area around where the plots were located. You know they go go there with a burlap sack and bring a pup home with him you know they had he had a bunch of different people hunting the dogs and hunting them hard you know so it was yeah. a uh you know the the breed was developed uh you know via many channels i think uh, yeah yeah and that's even the um, the neighbor to um actually so where that got those first couple pups from that's a guy who lives just down the road from dale and they've always kind of just you know, dealt stuff back and forth here and there. Um, then we'll actually just send some dogs over to another, you know, it's, I, th- I think that's, you, you need to do that. To, like you said, to kind of just get points back from what other people think. And, and I mean, like you said, like, you know, your dogs can treat the, treat the game where you're at, but how are they going to fare up in a different, different area or different climate? And, Right, and I mean, I I think most most dogs, I think it just takes a bit of time for them to get used to. I, I know I actually just listened to the uh, the um, the DU Hound Supplies guys going up to to um, BC there and running links. I actually, yeah. just listened to that podcast yeah, yeah. here last week, and that was they said too. You know, it's it, they come up here and they don't, yeah, they don't regularly run links. So yeah, they come up here and the dogs are just kind of, you know, it takes them a minute or a couple of days to kind of adjust, and sure. it's a different thing. And 
you know, and that and that you even go even we even get you go from, you know, it, like well, accidentally it happens here where you're running, you know, you're running bear, you're just kind of casting dogs and looking for a bear, and all of a sudden they take off, and you're like, oh, that doesn't sound like a bear race, and you get get there, and it's a lion tree, you know, it right. does happen, but general generally, you know, if you come out of out of bear season, the first couple cats, it takes a little bit to bring those dogs back down, so right. let alone going to a completely different species they've never ran before. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be. That's got to be mentally a, a a hurdle that, you know, I, at least I, I used to, when I used to race uh, sled dogs, you know, they, it was a good idea to get to where you were going to race a couple of days before you were going to race and get a couple of training runs in just so that they could get used to the snow and used to the weather, you know, used to the terrain, uh, you know, even if it was going to be a long race with a lot of variated terrain, you know, it's, it's just, it, it does something to just it seems like mentally they just kind of need to get into that. Okay, this is where we're at again. This is what we're doing. Kind of click into that race mode. Yeah, yeah. Know. Just like athletes, you got to climatize a little. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, so I've been pretty, I've been pretty lucky in that sense that Dill's kind of helped me with that, and he's always had that with his dogs down down there. Like he's he's done the same thing. He's always been friends of. Or people that he knows well that kind of the dogs have been gone to and mm-hmm. he's never really had problems and i mean i've got a i've got a list of guys who want dogs so oh, if i have a litter I, yeah yeah i don't have a hard time getting rid of dogs um but yeah it, you know it's so hard once you have a litter to, to send them off somewhere oh, yeah, so usually you just tough. send them to somebody at least you know that you can kind of get them back but i mean yeah it's 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 pretty pretty difficult you want to you want to see them all turn out but yeah. so yeah I mean, with all this stuff that we're doing now, too, like the social media and everything, it's so easy. I mean, he, I I can talk to Sam daily. Like, there's, you know, how a dog's doing or what kind of race he had. Or uh, there's another fella down there that's got one of our dogs, you know, and they, they just ha- had a couple Bobcat races, you know. And in the afternoon, he's telling me about how it went. Like, it's, you know, it's almost like me just owning the dog. I'm just yeah, right. Like, it's right. so simple. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, it's been awesome. That's really cool. I, I love the uh, sort of community aspect of, of what you guys are doing. That's really uh, that, that's really cool to me. That it's um, sort of a take takes a village kind of attitude, which I like. I like that. That's yeah, cool. yeah. And Dill's Dill's actually like he's been one that's like really spearheaded that because I never like I knew who he was and I kind of talked to him about wanting to get some pups and I don't know why he chose me. I honestly don't know. Uh, he'd sent some dogs to that other fellow in Abbotsford before. Um, actually, so his name's Bruce. He's a good friend of Steve's. Uh, so he'd actually sent dogs to him before. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming maybe that's why he was okay sending me up a couple dogs. I don't know. But since then, I've flown to Oklahoma two or three different times now. And I've gone down there and hunted coons and bobcats with those guys. And, Great. you know, and he's, yeah, he's really like, and he's trusting me to kind of keep the line going once he passes. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's. I don't, it's pretty, pretty cool. But yeah, like, like really you said, cool. he's kind of created a community around those dogs. Like he's got his little Facebook page and he actually kept like a very good log. Like he's got lots of pictures. And if you talk to him, you can talk to him for days about, he knows this dog bred back to this dog and this dog, yeah. did this really good. And you know, right. and it's just, and Steve, Steve's like that too. You can just talk to a guy like that for days and he knows, he knows the last 50 years of breeding. It's just absolutely crazy. Sure. Yeah. I mean, some guys just have a head for that kind of thing and yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. you sit down and like, it's it's one of those funny things where I can sit down and not have any idea what they're talking about. Like, I don't know any of these dogs. I don't know who they're talking about, but I can still sit and listen to them talk for hours yeah. just talking about, oh, that dog, Lefty was bred to Sweetie and Sweetie was 
she was line bred to, you know, it's just, it, it's endlessly fascinating to me to listen to these guys talk. Yeah. About, yeah. And uh, it's about their, no, I their totally lines, agree. Yeah. Cause you get, um, like that, that sport dog that the Coles line is kind of based on. Yeah. I mean, so he's now bred to, so the two females I have, uh, came out of a dog named freckles. Now, um, sport was bred to freckles. Uh, but sport is also Freckles' great grandfather on both sides. Right. You know, right. so it's like, and he just starts talking and he can just go on and on. He can go lineages back. And I'm just like, okay, and this one's bred to that. And this, yeah, it's just, it's That's great. Amazing. And I, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm always kind of, you know, tr- trying to pick his brain on stuff like that, but I can't, like, he's got a memory for it. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not always great with names and dates, but yeah, those guys, they can, they can sure remember. But, um, and I, I mean, that's kind of why he registered that bloodline too, right? So now at least it's, there's a bank of it. There's, yep. you can go in and find that information, which I, I mean, papers aren't everything, but it is good. You know, it's proof of breeding and it's an, an easy way to remember what, what's kind of gone on in the past and where you get certain characteristics from. And because yep. it's actually, we, we have a couple of females, uh, a, a dog named Kate, I believe she actually came from, from Dale. And mm-hmm. she went to that guy in Abbotsford and uh, she would always, she would always kind of do the smiling, like show her teeth and smile. Yeah. So she, she is the grandmother to one of the dogs I've here and he does the same thing. Oh, is that as right? Soon as, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, you catch him doing something he knows he's not supposed to be doing like, and he was always kind of, he's the runt of the litter and he would be up on the counter. You know, you let him in the house, you go outside to get some fire when you come in and he's up on the counter, look at the dishes and whatnot. And he knows yeah. he's not supposed to, he just gave you that little smile and jump down and <laughs> yeah. And the, the, you know, some of those characteristics, they keep popping up. And that same with that brindle. Like, I don't think they, that brindle was bred into the Coles line, I think in the eighties or the nineties and it, it, it's still popping up. You know, it's just, yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Huh? That's fascinating. Yeah. No, I could talk, uh, I could talk to dog genetics all day, but uh, yeah, no, I'm with you there. I think, uh, we're at about an hour and a half here and I know you're a nurse and a sore throat and, I've got another one of these. It's closing up on midnight here now, and I've got another one of these at 5 a.m. Okay, who are you doing in the 5 a.m.? Uh, I'm going to sit down again with uh, Jason uh, from W and then um, Jared oh, nice. Moss again. Yep, going to okay, awesome. get the three of us together again and uh, check in. We checked in before the uh, we had a good podcast before the season started, and then... Uh, a bunch has happened since then. Jared's gotten really rolling with the bear and the the cats and I've gotten my uh my Dan dog, my uh my plot rolling and Jason's had a whole bunch of stuff that's happened to him, so we're just gonna yeah, yeah. run through run through a little bit of what's been going on and how we've all been uh yeah, surviving <laughs> Awesome. The end of two thousand twenty one yeah oh that's great yeah we'll say we'll have to get together again and try and maybe get steve on before he kicks the old bucket there he yeah has, i would love uh, to do that lots of interesting stuff to talk about yeah i'm sure to be, do that. be good for your audience and in, in that way side of the world too it's probably a little bit oh more absolutely yeah and i mean i mean people over here they definitely know who he is and you know he's sent so many dogs over here you know the first the first plot that was sent over here um was in 1993 and that was a bred Ursus female. And that was sent over to Rasmus Bullström in Sweden. Yeah. And since then, he imports dogs regularly. And I know um, a very well-known uh, plot guy here in Norway, uh, John Steiner Vungen, 
um, has imported multiple dogs from Steve. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's, I, w- I would go as far as to say as far as hound, as far as American hound people, there's not many that are better known here than, than he is. He is. Just based yeah. on, you know, that there's so few plots over here, but the ones that are over here are so well known because of their yeah. exploits with bear hunting. And uh, I, so people kind of, yeah, they get curious and they're wondering exactly. who he is and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's a quick story through that. Um, well, I was guiding a bear hunt in the spring one time. I was just spotting stock, and those guys had shot their bear, so we we're just going to take them to a tax room. And then we stopped in at my place, and at that time, I had two older females of Steve that he just wasn't running. He just mm-hmm. has too many dogs to run, so I was like, "Oh, sure, I'll take them." So I was running these two females and these two uh, Swedish guys. They are both big hunters in Sweden. Mm-hmm. And they like, oh, whoa, you got plots and la la. They start talking plots. I was like, yeah, there's Steve Moore plots. They're like, no way, no way. And they're both holding these <laughs> these old uh, these old female dogs that are you know all gray and beat up in the face, and they're holding them. They got the the SM brands on the ears, and they're so excited to That's you know, cool. oh no way, he's a hero to us. And like, like yeah, no, he's got some pretty. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny, like. And and Steve, he's always got a couple of Swedish guys coming out to help him, you know, handle oh, yeah. dogs and oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so I mean, I've heard Erasmus a bit, and those guys. Yeah, yeah. It's a small world. It is a small world. the The dog world is. Uh, it's amazing to me how huge it is, but at the same time, it's like, it, it's like, you know, the, what what was that old thing? Seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's like you know we've got. <laughs> yeah. It takes no time to find common ground with uh, no. someone else in the dog world especially exactly. when you get into the hunting you know the working dog world yeah but yeah. awesome okay, well, well i appreciate you coming on and yeah let's uh let's uh, uh connect again here at some point and do one with maybe you and steve that would be a lot of fun get the yeah you bet. Of us no, sit well, down and have a chat for sure awesome nice all right man to you. thanks man yeah take care take care Man, I love that sound.